Darren, I don't know if you caught that. You called me your special friend. I feel like I'm a make-believe uh, character now. <laughs> I was like, um, am I invisible all of a sudden? So, well, if, if, uh, if we've never met before, uh, my name is Mark, and you're like, who's this guy? Well, I'm going to make some stuff up, and you're, you wouldn't know the difference. So, you're like, oh, this guy's kind of cool. Most of the stories I'll tell you won't be true, but uh, it'll, be, it'll sound cool. Um, no, uh, just want to give some catch-up. Uh, I have, uh, my family and I have been in Las Vegas for the past seven and a half years, and um, some people said it has been 10 years, and some people said like five years. I'm like, I don't know how to take that. Were you hoping I'd be away longer, or was it you excited? I, I don't know. So I'm going to say it was excitement and not be like, oh, really, you're back? Cool. <laughs> so uh, when, when we left, uh, we, well, we have three boys, and uh, when we left, our youngest was uh, not quite two. And our, our middle son was around four, and our oldest was right around six. And uh, now they're nine, 11, and 13. And, uh, and so our youngest ledger is, is um, a ball of energy. And by like ball, I mean like, it, a ball is really uh, an understatement. Um, firecrackers, uh, a bonfire, uh, all those things kind of in one is, is ledger. And uh, his middle name is Blaze. And we got exactly what we asked for. So, uh, be, so future parents, just be mindful of what you name your children. Um, you might get it. So just a heads up. Uh, Cole, our middle son, he's 11. Uh, one of our recent conversations was he told me, hey, I would like to um, major in football in college. <laughs> I was like, you can't. Um, so you might want to just consider... I don't know, maybe an alternative to that. He's like, nah. <laughs> All right, fair enough. And uh, Caden, our oldest, he's 13, and he uh, is in middle school world. And uh, he, has, he loves playing cello and, and uh, just continues to get better at that. I am the, I'm not musical. Um, and he and my wife will play, she'll play piano, he'll play cello. And I'm like, this is so cool. I don't know what they're doing. And they'll talk about things like, oh, fix this. I'm like, I have no clue what's happening, but it's cool. Um, he's, he's just recently reached about 5'5", five, five, and you'd think he's about 6'5", because he walks around the house, and he's like, I'm almost as tall as you. I'm like, no, you're not. You're still not. And he weighs maybe 100 pounds. And so, like, he loves to challenge me, and I just lunge at him a little bit. He's like, I did remember, you're 5'5", five, five, and you might be 100 pounds, so back off. Um, but they're great. They're doing well. And so, you know, on, on the surface, it's, it's, it's exciting. It's good. Behind the scenes, it is stressful. It is tough navigating a middle school, soon to be middle school, and an elementary kid through a move. And so I, I say that just to say, hey, if you would just join us in praying for our kids as we're, as we're navigating through transition. Um, so it's just, it comes in waves of, hey, it's good, and they're excited, but then it comes in a wave where they're like, what is happening? And so Jess and I have those moments too where you look at each other and like, I don't know what's happening. I'm not really sure. But, but we've really seen God kind of orchestrating a lot of things along the way and, and just kind of affirming it uh, in the process from everything from just some of the conversations that we've had here uh, to uh, we sold our house in a day in Las Vegas. Um, and so it was one of those moments you're like, whoa. Uh, we just sold our house, so we got to make a decision. Uh, are we still going to go do this or we at least lost our house? So... So I guess we're going to come here because we don't have a house there anymore. But uh, so if you have room, just let me know. Uh, 
But God has just orchestrated a lot of stuff in this process that just keeps, every time we're like, whoa, there's just kind of another thing that he just affirms. And so just kind of expectant as to what those next things will look like. And uh, if if I've learned anything over the last seven years, it's one of those of like, you just don't know what the future holds. You don't know what is coming. As much as we like to plan and hold on to it, we just don't really know. And so that's one big thing. And so this morning, kind of my aim is just to get reacquainted, or maybe it's kind of interacting for the very first time. Uh, And and I want to share some stories with you, and I want to kind of give you a glimpse into my heart and uh, maybe who I am today and maybe who we are as a family today. Um, and so uh, just a couple kind of fun stories off the top. Uh, when we moved to Las Vegas, I bought a, uh, a 1995 Jeep Wrangler. And I was like, man, this is going to be incredible. Well, my first time out into the desert, because there's tons of desert land you can drive on around Las Vegas, uh, I got it stuck. Yeah, it was great. Like stuck, stuck. Like I was with my oldest son and my middle son, and they were six and, and four. We had to abandon the car and hike three miles and in the dark and find a guy that happened to have a cell phone in the middle of nowhere. It's like a serial killer moment kind of thing. You're like, there's a flashlight, it's dark, do we walk towards it, do we run? So probably we do the common sense thing, you walk towards the flashlight in the dark, right? Uh, and so long story short, it, I had to you know, admit I don't know what I'm doing and had to learn that over time. But there's, there's a whole story. I can unpack the whole thing, but we'll, we'll, we'll catch up on that later. Um, I actually, uh, one time I paid to get hypothermia. Um, I paid money, good money to get it. Um, and you're like, why? Well, my wife asked me the same thing. Uh, I, I uh, got really big into doing triathlon races. And one of them, uh, I got a terrible, came down with hypothermia during the race. And uh, my wife, I'm, I'm telling her, like, I actually had to quit the race. I couldn't finish. It got so bad. Um, and, and she's like, I don't feel sorry for you. I'm like, but I had hypothermia. I was really cold. She's like, you paid for that. I don't care. I'm like, that's kind of our relationship. I do something. And she's like, no. Nah. And why is she really going like, oh, I totally understand that. Yes, it's my husband. So that's been a learning curve that I still not figured out. Um, uh, this past summer, we, uh, we were gifted a sabbatical at uh, the church I was at after so many years of full-time ministry there. They, they gave us three months of a sabbatical. And so we drove 12,400 miles around the country and saw uh, 31 states, both coasts, uh, most of Canada. And uh, it was just an unreal experience, all the stuff we got to see, just one of those once-in-a-lifetime opportunities. Uh, and in the midst of that trip, I had this really Holy Spirit moment, and I've never had a moment like it before. And we'll get there in a few minutes, but that's kind of what is shaping uh, the direction I'm going today. Uh, really, if it hadn't been for that, I think uh, we might be having a little bit different conversation. And so uh, we'll get there. But, but the story I want to I dive into today is the story of the woman at the well in John chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, I'll give you a chance to get there. Um, but in the story, there, there's Jesus and there's the woman. And, and when you take a look at the story, you, you look at Jesus, and then he's obviously, he's Jesus, and so he's, he's representing what a Christ follower should look like and how they should act and how they should carry themselves. But he's also a great representation of the church. How should the church act? How should the church uh, uh, interact with people? What should the church be known for? And then on the flip side, you have the woman in the story. And a lot of times we're like, oh, she's the outcast. She's the, the person far from God. And, and, and those are true, but, but I would almost propose that she's us. 
She's you, she's me. She's us when we feel disconnected or left out or on our own and all those things. And so I found this story to have a deep level of conviction and encouragement in one. So that's what I wanna walk through today because this kind of has been my wrestle for a while now and just trying to navigate the future. So it picks up and we're gonna pick up in John four, verse five. It says, so he, being Jesus, came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was the sixth hour. So a couple things at play, there's some cultural things. Um, Jews, which Jesus was, uh, did not associate with Samaritans that lived in Samaria. Uh, They would typically do anything they could to avoid Samaria because they viewed Samaritans as unclean. So they would go around Samaria, even if it took them longer, that's the route they would take. So for Jesus and his disciples to walk through is really kind of a unique thing. That wouldn't have been a normal thing. The other part of this is they land at the well at noon. Now again, Jesus is there by himself. It's not not unique yet, but noon is a weird time for someone to come and draw water. Again, as a desert dweller for the past seven and a half years, I understand that when it is hot outside, you don't go outside in the middle of the day. It's uncomfortable. You're like, I'm going to avoid that because it's heat from above. It's heat from the ground. All of that is, just makes it almost unbearable at times. But this is the moment in which Jesus is at the well. And it's on purpose. It's for a reason because in the next verse, verse 7, it says, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Now, Again, a couple things at play here. There's this thought that a man would not address a woman in this culture without her husband present. Well, there's no husband in sight. It's Jesus and it's this woman. There's also an instance where Samaritans and Jews would not have used the same dishes. Again, Jesus doesn't have something to draw water, and this woman will will point that out. And and there's also uh, a cultural thing that if, if a stranger asked you for a drink, you would not deny them. So there's tension. There's also something to be asked about the woman. Like I said, noon was not a normal time to show up to get water. You would have come in the early morning when it was cool, or you would have come in the evening when it was cool. But that's also when it would have been the most trafficked. A lot of women would have been out there getting water. This woman comes at noon. And I ask the question, why? Why does she show up at noon? Why not come with everybody else? That's normal. So when you read the story start to finish, there's some layers, and Jesus will unpack these in a few moments, but he, he, we, we learn about her that she's been married five times, and now she's living with a sixth man. Now, in culture there, that would not have been looked upon favorably. She would have been judged and looked down upon. So when you start putting the pieces together, she's there so that she doesn't have to interact with everyone else because she's been looked down on. She's been judged. She's been cast out. She's an outsider. And yet that's the person that Jesus shows up at noon to meet. And I'm like, interesting. Why? And so the story starts to unfold where Jesus starts going down on this. Let's let's grab verse 9. It says, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Why? Why? Why are you asking me for this? This is weird. You're not supposed to be here. No one is supposed to be here. This is my time. I come on here so that I don't have to interact with anybody. 
Well, then Jesus starts going off on this conversation about living water. He starts saying things that she doesn't understand. She's not comprehending. So she responds with sarcasm. And she starts to deflect Jesus. She tries to bring cultural things to just create a barrier to be like, I don't want to have this conversation. I really don't want to talk to you. And again, I would assume, speaking for myself, and I think this is many of us in this room would say, I can relate. You may have shown up at church today and you're like, I don't want to talk to anybody. I want to be in. I want to be out. I don't, I don't want anybody to ask me how I am. I'd rather not talk about that stuff. That's much the same way this interaction's happening between Jesus and this woman. I love this, verse 13. It says, Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water, the well, will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give, give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Again, as someone who's lived in the desert, if someone showed at my door, a water salesman shows up at my door and says, I have water that I can give you that if you use it, you'll never have to get water again. I'm like, I'm in. I'll buy that. I don't want to get water. My water bill is ridiculous. I'll take that. But it's confusing because he's speaking in these terms and this woman's going, I don't understand what you're saying. I don't get it. Because you'll see that in verse 15. He says, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here. She's like, yeah, I want that. Like, I would love to have water. Again, she's probably going, I wouldn't have to come and be seen by all these other women. People in the community wouldn't have chances to judge me because I wouldn't have to come out here and deal with all that kind of stuff. And so what I love about this and this is a gut check moment for me as I was going this and just processing all of this is, this is a moment where Jesus is making it abundantly clear, I don't want something from you. I want something for you. I want to give you something. I'm not asking for you just to, to draw water from the well for me. I'm telling you about something that only I can give you that is way better than anything else you can get from the world around you. And as the story unfolds, this is where Jesus then says, go get your husband so we can continue talking. And she says, oh, I don't have a husband. He goes, I know. You've had five, and now you're living with a sixth. And you just talk about a wind out of your sails moment where all the secrets that you've tried to keep, and especially you didn't want to bring up to this guy, he already knows. And you clearly know he's not from your community because he's Jewish. So he hasn't been out talking to your friends and yet he knows. And the conversation goes on. She immediately starts putting up smoke screens and uses the culture once again. I'm Samaritan, you're Jewish, da, 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 all these things to try to deflect, deflect, deflect. And maybe your experience with church, maybe you're new here, you got invited, maybe your experience with church has been the church's job is to point out my flaws and make me feel guilty about the things that I've done. And I'm sorry if that's been your experience. But I get it, sometimes we come to church and we feel like it's not a safe place. But Jesus shows us what it's like to meet people in the midst of their mess. Because here's what he says, in verse 25, the conversation has gone on, it's been back and forth. She's really uncomfortable now because he said, I know your secrets. Verse 25, it says, the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. You just talk about this moment 
Because she's been thinking, I know that the Messiah will come someday, and he's going to make all this make sense, because I don't understand. I, I, you are weirding me out, because you're telling me things about living water, and you've just told me all the things that I have done, the things I have tried to keep hidden, and yet you know them? I don't know. And now he's like, hey, the Messiah you have learned your, about your entire life is right in front of you. I'm right here. I'm not running away. I'm not turning my back. In the midst of your mess, I'll meet with you. And sometimes our perception of Jesus is he doesn't want anything to do with me until I've got all my stuff together. And so we just navigate life and do what it is that we do. But what I love is this, is that Jesus displays in this moment that no one is beyond the reach of Jesus. No one. So personally, why, why, why this for me? About a year and a half ago, um, I really started dealing with anxiety. Never really dealt with that in my life um, uh, to the point that I started having physical issues from it. Uh, I went to the doctor um, and I thought, I, I'm having breathing issues and, and, and all this stuff was going on. And so I go to the doctor and they, and they give me all these tests and I'm, I'm for sure convinced they're going to tell me something, and, and we're going to have a plan of action here. And so they, they go through all the things, and, and the doctor comes back in. She's got a sheet of paper, and I'm like, great, we got a sheet of paper. We've got something to go with here. She's figured something out. And she hands me, and she says, here's some breathing exercises. I was like, excuse me? Where's, like, the real stuff? Like, what are we really going to do about this? She's like, well, you're just going to have to breathe and relax. And I'm like, great because that's helped so far. And so I, I left that day, and here's what I heard when I walked out. It's all in your head. It's all in your head. And so uh, right around that same time, I was, I was going to lead a uh, mission trip to Cambodia. And I had a team of 10 people that I was leading for 10 days overseas. And I remember sitting the day we were leaving, I was on the couch, and my wife and I are sitting there, I'm literally breaking down. I'm losing it. And I'm just telling her, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. This is the last thing I want to do. I don't want to go. I remember being in LAX, getting ready to get on the plane to fly overseas, still going, I don't want to do this. I just need an excuse to not get on this plane and go home. I don't want to do this. I got on the plane. I faked it for 10 days. I got home. And I just kind of kept quiet. I did a little bit of counseling. I just kind of kept quiet about it. I, I began to just shut down and just kind of withdraw from people. I didn't want to talk about it because I started telling myself this. This is what I told myself. If people really cared, they'd ask. If no one asks, don't burden them with this. And so I just kept it to myself. I can remember kind of early in this process that, that people would say, well, just pray about it. And I'm like, yeah, because that's helped up to this point. Or, or people would be like, hey, just have more faith. And I remember thinking, well, how about I just punch you? Like, let's see how that feels. Because that, what you said doesn't help, but this will help. And I know in those moments that we just want to say something. We just want to offer that word of encouragement. But I know in the moment for me, I just wanted a safe place to talk. I just wanted, I just wanted somebody to listen. But I felt like, again, I told myself, well, you're a pastor. Keep it together. You've got to fix this. You've got to figure this out. And so I just shut down more, shut down more, shut down more. I can remember uh, this past summer, I, uh, I, I kind of hit a breaking point uh, on, on our trip, and um, 
I remember getting my journal out one, one day and I just started writing a whole bunch of verses uh, about anxiety. And I'm like, okay, I gotta try something different because doing nothing's really not doing anything, which is surprising, right? Um, but I, I journaled and I, and I wrote some, some, I just wrote a prayer and, and, I, and I remember writing these, these three words. It said, he still cares. I wrote it in all caps, but I, I remember this. I don't know in that moment that I really believed it. I was like, I'm just going to write this down, but I don't know that I believe that right now. Because in my mind, in my own perception, I didn't feel like that was the case. On July 31st, I remember the date and everything very vividly, I was snapped awake in the middle of the night to the words, so, so good, just radiating through my mind over and over and over as though you and I were sitting there having a conversation. I heard it right there. And I've never had a moment like that. I mean, normally if I wake up in the night, I'm groggy. No, it was a snapped awake hearing that on repeat. And then it was as though someone turned on a TV and just began to replay for me the last few weeks of my life and the good things that had just taken place. And I, it wasn't the last few months or years. It was just the recent weeks. So finally, after a little bit of that, I went back to sleep and I got up the next morning. I got my journal out because I'm thinking, what in the world do I do with all this? So I wrote it down, and, and then this next phrase really hit me. Again, it's this Holy Spirit moment where, as clear as day, I wrote down the words, the prison you are in is the one you have chosen. And I just sat with that, and I thought, whoa. Just kind of that punch in the gut moment of like, you've, you've chosen to stay where you are. My, my, my prison wasn't the anxiety. My prison was the isolation I'd chosen to live in. Much like the woman at the well, I'd chosen as much of my life to exist at noon on a hot day so that no one would be around and no one would ask. Because I didn't want to deal with that stuff. I don't want to talk about it. That hadn't worked up to this point, so why do it again? And I know that some of us can relate in this room. Some of us have some of these same things. We, we've, we found ourselves in the prison of isolation. And maybe you've gotten there because you believe that your worth and your value are directly tied to your ability to whatever it is. Man, I know that for us, this is a big issue. Or maybe it's, it's God's faithfulness is predicated on my ability to fill in the blank, to have enough faith, or whatever it is. And sometimes we just believe, well, God's not interested, so I'm not interested. He obviously doesn't care because he's not saying anything. And we believe that no one will understand this, so please keep it quiet. Just keep it to yourself. No one should know about this. They'll judge you if you tell them. Sometimes we believe, well, there's no hope for you. This can't be fixed. And when these lies become our truth, we believe that we have to battle alone in isolation. That's what the woman at the well was doing, alone, apart from everyone else. And, and then I began to understand through this story and starting to talk about things that Jesus goes in pursuit of people. Jesus went in pursuit of this one, like we just talked about a few minutes ago. He went through Samaria on purpose. He landed at this well on purpose because he knew she was going to be there because no one else was coming. He wasn't just sitting there thinking, I'll just sit here in this hot sun while these guys go get food. It'll be great, relaxing. He knew she's coming. 
Because what I love is she actually learns all this, gets her mind blown, goes racing back into her community to people that she doesn't have a relationship with and says, you've got to come meet Jesus. I've just met the Messiah. You've got to come meet this guy. And this whole community ends up transforming. Jesus stays there for days and transforms this whole community because of this encounter. So what does this mean for us? As I sit and wrestle with this on a personal level and even as a pastor level, as I try to rationalize all these things together, I come back to that whole thing at times. I have, in my own personal experience, found the church at times to not be a safe place. And I know many of us have wounds that we carry around because someone who bore the name Christian did something, said something, acted in a certain way. How do we rationalize that? How do we line that stuff up? So that's, what I, that's where all this comes from for me. That's my guiding light as far as what God is calling me to do and, and my role. And so if, if, I had to, if I had to put on a billboard what I would want a church to be about and what I really hope that we continue to be known for as a church, as a community, as a people is this, that we're a place for everyone and it's going to be messy sometimes. I had the privilege of having a front row seat for the last seven and a half years to watch that happen. I, I loved it on, on the side of the building uh, at the church I worked at. It was come as you are. And in Las Vegas, come as you are can be pretty unique sometimes. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you, it was unbelievable. It was amazing at times to get to have a front row seat to life change. As you watch people who have had very difficult life happen to them come into a life-saving relationship with Jesus, you're like, that's incredible. And through my journey over the last few years of my life to be reminded that I, as a Christian, am in desperate need of Jesus. Because it's easy sometimes to lose sight of that, even for those of us that have been Christians for a long, long time. And so Jesus' lesson in this and the lesson that I am walking away with is this, to meet people where they are as they are. Where they are, as they are. Not, not, not get your stuff together, then I'll meet with you. Because believe me, I wrestle with that personally where I felt like I gotta get my stuff together because I gotta fix this. But believe it or not, if we could have fixed ourselves, we would have done it a long time ago. Because Jesus is trying to draw us out of isolation. The church's role is to draw people out of isolation, make them feel connected, and introduce them to Jesus. That's us. That's what Jesus did with the woman at the well. I'm gonna, I'm gonna draw you, I'm gonna break the cycle of isolation in your life and I'm gonna introduce you to myself and I'm gonna save you and your community because of it and through that. So come as you are. And this is tough sometimes because it gets messy with people. But you know what? It's incredible. I loved getting to hear people's baptism stories that every time someone was baptized, we, we shared a video story. Uh, and, and I loved it because they would just talk about how, how they had intersected with Jesus and how Jesus had gotten a hold of their life and began to transform it and how we were continually a work in progress, process. I'm not there yet. The other part of this that I've learned is that we need to be mindful of our own stories so that we can raise that hand at times and go, me too. I've been there. I know what it's like to hurt. I know what it's like to be hurt. I know what it is to experience loss and tragedy. I understand those things. Because let, let's be honest, empathy is often learned in the darkest moments of our lives. Empathy is one of the worst lessons to learn. 
but it is most powerful when it is turned around and used into the life of someone else going through the very same thing you just navigated. Because Jesus doesn't waste those moments. He, he turns them around and allows you to use them where you can sit down with just someone and practice the power of presence. You don't even have to say anything. And sometimes that's the best thing. To just be there, be present with someone and just go, me too. I know what it is to hurt. I know what it is to have loss. Because I can say this now, I am not who I used to be. And I'm thankful for that. It hasn't been pretty. Believe me, I have fought it as, as viciously as I could at times. But Jesus wasn't done working in my life, and I'm thankful. And I know at times that some, we, can, we can use our own assumptions about people as roadblocks and reasons that we don't encounter them, reasons that we don't engage them, reasons that we don't build relationships with them. But Jesus' example of that is totally in contrast to sometimes our approach, maybe sometimes the approach we have encountered. There, there, there's a phrase or, or two words that I have, I have resonated with for a long time now. It's, it's acceptance and approval. And in our culture, it's getting more and more polarizing to the fact that if you accept, you have to approve. They go hand in hand. And if you don't, well, then you're a terrible person. But I would propose the opposite because we all have examples of this where I can accept anybody, but it doesn't mean I approve of all their decisions. I love my boys. I love them but I don't approve of all their decisions. They're not great decision makers all the time. I'm not great, a great decision maker all the time, but I can accept anybody. Uh, my oldest son has a, has a music teacher that, that comes over to our house and does lessons and we've gotten to know him. And I'll say this, we're not on the same page on many things, but we accept him. We're building a relationship with him because here's, here's our goal because of all of this. Here's what we have been called to do and the passion that's welling up within us is this. My goal is that when he leaves my house, he walks away going, man, those Jesus people aren't so bad. Because I know that over time with enough encounters and experiences like that, he's going to become open to the gospel. But if I'm like, you're not coming to my house because we're different. We don't agree on everything. No. All he's going to do is go, then I don't want anything to do with your Jesus. And so we, we live in this tension of I'm going to meet you where you're at and I know it's going to be messy and I'm going to accept you where you're at, much like Jesus did in this story, much like Jesus has done in my life and I know that Jesus has done in, in your life and we're going to walk from there. Darren said uh, not long after he became the lead pastor here, I was watching a message of his and, and he, he used the, the phrase, the church is a refuge for the world, not from the world. We have this incredible privilege, those of us that are Christians, that are Christ's followers, and maybe you're not there yet, and that's, that's okay. I'm glad that you're here and you're willing to listen to this. For those of us that are Christ's followers, we are changed people changing people. We are the church in here collectively, and we are the church outside of these walls. As we walk through different places, we are the church. And so never undervalue the impact of an invitation. Because you never know when someone is just literally waiting for someone to extend that invite to say, hey, let's grab coffee. Hey, 
Let's do lunch. I'd love to hear your story. Hey, my, my church has got Easter services coming up, and they're awesome. Why don't you come with us? Because God orchestrates incredible things in our willingness to step across that uncomfortable line and extend that invite. So I know I've talked a little bit all over the place and just different learnings that I'm having and different wrestlings that I'm navigating. But I'm a work in progress. And I'm learning more and more each day to just relate with people where I can just say, me too. Because life has a way of teaching us that. And Jesus is redeeming those moments. So the two things I would tell you is this. The first is reflect. This week, my, my, my invitation to you is this. Reflect. Look back over your own story and begin to write out the things that God is redeeming. Maybe, maybe it's, it's loss in your life. Maybe it's, 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 it's what's happened to you. Maybe it was some, a, a series of unwise decisions that he has redeemed for greater things, that he has brought you through, he is teaching you about, and, and, and you are changed as a result of that. Because those are the moments that he's going to turn around and use to impact someone else's life. You know, I didn't know what, what loss was really up close until a few years ago, and believe me, it's awful. But to be able to walk along people's lives and people walk along my life in the midst of that, they go, hey, I'm just here. I'm here. To be able to turn around some of those same things that we've learned through the darkness of learning empathy, to be able to walk with people and just go, we're here. Because we get it. Nothing more. We're just here. Because God is redeeming those moments and he will use those moments to impact other people. So this week, write those down and begin to pray this prayer. God, how do you want to use this? Because here's the challenge. There's an invitation, there's a challenge. Challenge is, is extend, extend. You are perfectly positioned right now in life to influence a number of people. Whether that's your job or for high school students, that's in your hallways or your classrooms or wherever it is that you do life, you are perfectly positioned in the life of someone else. So this week, extend some sort of invitation. I know some of you are like, I don't, inviting somebody to church is intimidating. Okay, invite them to coffee. Let's grab lunch. Use Easter as an opportunity to invite somebody, it's a great opportunity but extend some sort of invitation that you can get down and just learn about somebody else, ask great questions, be a good listener, and look for opportunities to just practice the power of presence in their life. There's, it's not random that you are perfectly positioned. It's not, oh, this is good luck. No. God has you where you need to be, and he's going to use that part of your story to impact these people. So this week, reflect and extend. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful. Um, we're grateful for Jesus uh, because without him and without you sending him, uh, we're lost and we're on our own. And we're so grateful you didn't leave us that way. We're grateful for sometimes those hard moments that we've had to navigate and that you've walked with us along, alongside of us, that, that you've woken us up to moments where we're saying, hey, I'm here. And you grab our attention. You're like, hey, I'm not done with you yet. There's more to your story. I'm gonna, I'm gonna redeem this. I'm gonna use this. And so God, this week, I, I pray over all of us that you would help us to reflect. You give us clarity of mind to, to grab pieces of our own story and begin to understand what it is you're doing through that. And God, that we would have the boldness and the courage to extend some invites. So allow us that courage. God, Holy Spirit, empower us this week to take steps way beyond our comfort zone, to make someone else feel safe, 
where we can have a difficult conversation and just learn about somebody else. So God, I pray for those conversations this week and I pray that you would just begin to spark a movement here in us, among us, and ahead of us as you just begin to navigate us through life as works in progress, desperately in need of a savior, but super passionate about sharing that savior with the world. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.